Well, I'm going to, before I really talk about what principles we can learn from the story, I want to uh, think a little bit about what, what that sling was like. Uh, in August 4th, 1983, David Winfield of uh, the New York Yankees was charged with cruelty to animals for killing a seagull during a, a game in Toronto. They were playing against the Blue Jays. During one of the warm-ups, he threw a ball at a seagull and killed it. So he was charged with cruelty to animals. Uh, he was, uh, he didn't get fined for it because, uh, the next day they dropped the charges. Probably because Billy Martin testified and said, uh, it was an accident. He hasn't been able to hit home base all, at all this year. <laughs> but baseball players wear helmets for a reason. A baseball player can, uh, a pitcher can throw a baseball upwards of 90 miles an hour. And in the days before batting helmets, uh, the New York Times re- reported on December 16th, 1913, reviewing baseball um, uh, injuries and deaths. Twelve people were killed in Chicago playing baseball by being hit by the pitcher. Now, these weren't professionals. They had no protective gear. But uh, 12 were killed by being hit by pitchers. Now, here are some facts about slings. If a baseball pitcher can throw 90 miles an hour with that mechanical advantage and that leverage, think about what volume and velocity we can get from slings if we extend it now another 18 to 24 inches. It's, um, it's all about mechanical advantage. Because of the additional length added to, this, to the sling, a sling can be launched a projectile at a speed approaching 400 feet per second. If you want that translated into miles per hour, it's close to 225 miles per hour. By contrast, a 44 caliber bullet from a 45 caliber handgun has a speed only 100 foot feet per second more, so 500 feet per second. So sling stones were typically sized anywhere between a golf ball to as big as a tennis ball. And here's some some facts about sling and warfare. They can be thrown at a, a distance of 450 meters. They have a speed of 250 miles per hour. At the time of archery and, and whatnot, it was considered more deadly and more feared than archery. One historian cites a Roman officer bragging that his sling marksman could not only hit the face of an enemy soldier, they could decide which side of the face they wanted to hit. The Roman army medics had special tools for removing sling stones from the bodies of their soldiers. Uh, They were used in Israelite in the army. 2 Kings 3.25 talks about slings. 2 Chronicles 26.14 talks about the army using slings. And in Judges 20 verses 15 and 16, it says there were 700 Benjamites that could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. So that's the kind of accuracy you can get from a sling. In classical Greek times, the projectiles uh, could be made out of lead or sun-baked clay. Do we have one up there? Yeah. They made them out of lead. And they even had some inscriptions on them, like the name of the slinger or the, the unit they belonged to. Or they had stuff put on their 
their sling balls, stuff like, take that, or a Greek blow, or simply, ouch. (laughs) The reason I put all this stuff in there was I want you to realize that the story of David is not the story of a fairy tale. It's the story of a young man who prepared himself for a battle, had the courage to face a giant, and to take him out. So, I've entitled this sermon, Five Easy Steps to Become, to Slay a Giant and Become a Hero. So, step one is, find a giant. In Sam, 1 Samuel 17, verses 24 and 25, it says, Now the Israelites have been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. But before I get into this, I maybe should, I'm assuming that you all know the story. David's tending sheep in the field. Saul and the army is out uh, facing the Philistines. And David's father says, take some supplies and provisions to your brothers who are fighting with Saul. So David shows up and he hears Goliath. Uh, bad-mouthing the Israelites. This was the beginning of trash talk. So for, for you athletes who understand that, this is where it all started. So Goliath is out morning and evening, trash-talking the Israelites, defying them, you know. All-star wrestling, if you know what I mean. It was like that. And so David comes along and says, what's going on here? And he hears the soldiers talking, saying, if anybody will take this giant out, You'll get some rewards. You'll not have to pay taxes and uh, your family will be exempt from military service. So David goes and, and, and proceeds to put himself in the place to, to kill the giant. So the step one is finding a giant. It's obvious that the Israelites had a problem and uh, they were concerned about it enough that they were going to offer rewards. So if you want to be a hero, you have to find a giant. And the reason you need a giant, because giants bring rewards. If you can take out a giant, you'll get rewards. So in this story, David gets great wealth. His family gets tax-exempt status. And he gets to marry the king's daughter. I guess the king solves two problems in one stone. He gets rid of the giant and marries his daughter off. Um... There are two types of giants that we need to fight. There are community giants like Goliath, and there are personal giants that we all have to face in our lives. But they're both kind of related in the same way. Giants are just challenges and problems, and and challenges and problems are always a path to a better life. They are indicators that there's something needs to be changed. So in personal giants, if you're continually having a fight with your spouse about the same old things, whether it's finances or your relationship or how your in-laws treat you or how you treat your in-laws, that's an indicator that you need to change something. So that problem is to a path to a more satisfying better relationship with your spouse. If you struggle with your children, that's an indicator that something in the relationship needs to be changed. And 
as parents, we always want to look at our kids, but maybe we need to look at ourselves and say, what do I need to change? What do I need to do to make this situation better? Do you struggle in school? Need to get help? Facing and overcoming personal challenges are what makes us grow. Life is meaningless without challenges, without giants that we need to face. In terms of community giants, problem solvers are leaders. Leaders take responsibility for solving problems. David saw a giant that needed to be taken out, and he knew he was the man for the job. He was prepared to do the job, and he went out and he did it. Leaders identify challenges and opportunities in the community that need to be solved. When Cecil Road School needed a play structure a few years ago, there were some leaders from this church that were on the parent council who decided that they could do something about it. They went about writing for grants and raising money, and now Cecil Rhodes has two beautiful play structures, largely as a result of the leaders who didn't say, oh, our kids don't get a play structure. Too bad. The city won't do something about it. The school division doesn't do something about it. We've asked them to do stuff about it, but they don't do it. They didn't whine. They didn't moan. They didn't complain. They saw a problem. They saw an opportunity. And they went about making the, doing what it took to get it, get it done. An indicator that there is something that needs a giant to be slain is something that makes you angry. Is there something that you're upset about in your community? Is there something you're not pleased about that needs to be changed? Is it drugs? Is it uh, 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 teen pregnancy? Is it something closer to home? The park needs to be cleaned up. The, whatever it is. If there's something in your life that you're dissatisfied with it, maybe that's God telling you that there's a giant in your life that you need to face up to and do something about. So, step one is find a giant. We all have giants. They're all there waiting for us to just face up to them. Step two is to prepare yourself. In 1 Samuel 17, 34, David said, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by a hair and struck it and killed it. So how do you prepare yourself? There's a number of things we can see from this that David did to prepare himself. First of all, David was faithful in the responsibilities he was given. He says he took care of the sheep. He didn't complain about this assignment. He did what he was called to do. He did not live an if-only life. Do you know what an if-only life is? Oh, if only I'd have been able to go out with my brothers to the war. If only I wasn't sit here in the fields watching sheep. If only I had a better education. If only I had better parents. If only, if only, if only. David took his situation and was responsible and did the best he could do with what he was given there. Secondly, David did more than what was required for his position. I think if a bear comes along to steal the sheep and takes one and I chase him away, that's an even bargain. I stay alive, the bear gets the sheep. We're even. But David said, no, that's not good enough. I'm going to go and I'm going to chase this bear 
and I'm going to slay it so I don't have to worry about this problem anymore. And if a mountain lion is prowling along, trying to get my sheep, I'm going to take it out so I don't have to worry about it anymore. And the person who comes behind me and is tending the sheep will have an easier job. I'm going to do more than what's required in my position. So if we want to be prepare ourselves, whatever our job is right now, whether it's a volunteer job or it's the job we're doing at work, we need to give uh, $10 an hour for an $8 an hour job. We need to give more than what's expected of us. We need to add value to whatever we do. That's how you prepare to face a giant. And the third thing David did, he practiced the skills that he would need to be successful in a new position. Mastering a sling is not something you do in 15 minutes. When David went out to meet the giant, if he hadn't practiced with that sling, we wouldn't be telling this story right now. God surely helped him, but David prepared himself by practicing hours and hours and hours. In David's society, the the Israelites were constantly at war with raiders, with the Philistines. Saul was trying to bring the kingdom together. There was constant war going on. David knew at some point in his life he would be called upon to be a warrior. So he didn't wait till he was given the position of a warrior before he prepared for it. He prepared for it long before he was given it. It would take years to become a, a skilled marksman with a sling. But when the time came, David was ready because he was practiced. Uh, when I was with the RCMP in training, we had to do something called a Cooper's Mile. I don't know why they call it a Cooper's Mile. It's a mile and a half. I guess that's the RCMP's way of, of, of measuring things. Anyway, it was near the end of our training, and as part of our training, we had what's called a regimental dinner, and where we dress up in our red serge and our whole troop. There's 24 of us, and our and the corporals and sergeants who were training us. We had a meal. It was, and part of the reason for a regimental dinner was to teach some of us less skilled people how to eat at a at a at a official banquet. We weren't allowed to take our bread and scoop up the gravy. Anyway, long and the short of us, we had our regimental dinner, and the next day was the Cooper's Mile, the final one where you get your time. And we were sitting around talking and chatting, and one of the young guys, I was the oldest guy in the troop at 37, um, challenged and said something about getting a faster time than me in the Cooper's Mile. And you know me, I'm not very competitive. He was a young guy. He had full of bravado, and and I liked him. He was a nice guy, but one thing I can't stand is bravado with nothing to back it up. So we got challenging each other until the corpus calmed us down a bit. But I was prepared to wager anything against this young man who was faster and younger than I was because I knew I was prepared. I was one of six people from our troop that had run, at that time, close to 500 miles in six months. We had trained. We were ready. And by the way, I know this is young and reckless, reckless but I've got to say something for the old people. I was 37. There was a couple of guys around 30. And we were the guys who had ran 500 miles, not the 200 to 22-year-olds. But anyways, I had been prepared, so I knew there was no way that he could beat me. Because as much as he wanted to be bravado and be bragging and trash-talking, he hadn't done the preparation. 
He hadn't run the miles. So step number two is to be prepared. The Bible is full of that idea. It says, Jesus said, if you are faithful in a little, you'll get more. You'll get more responsibility. Prepare now for what you're going to do in the future. Be a learner. Surround yourself with people who can teach you. Perfect your skills that you have now and learn new skills. We should be learning something until the day we die. I want the last book I read to be within minutes of the time I close my eyes and and be finished. The last skill I learn, I want it to be within days of my funeral. I want to be learning and growing and changing and facing challenges and problems until I'm finished. I never want to put up my feet and say it's over until the Lord calls me home. So we found a giant. We've spent years preparing for it. Our step three is to use the gifts God has given us. In 1 Samuel 17, 38 to 40, it says, he, Then he took his staff in his hands, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistines. Now, previous to this, I didn't put it up there because I didn't want to put too much to read up there. When Saul says, okay, this little kid, well, he's not a little kid, he's a teenage boy, an athletic, strong teenage boy, anywhere from 16 to 20 years old. He comes to Saul and Saul says, okay, I'll, I'll, I don't think you can do this, but okay, if you want to, we'll do it. So here, you can use my armor, you can put on all the stuff I wear, and then you can go to fight. And David tried on Saul's armor and walked around and said, I can't use this because I'm not used to what you're doing. Not only does that show us that we need to use the skills and abilities, the uniqueness that God has given us, we can't do things the same way as other people have. If David would have tried to put on the armor and go spear to spear with Goliath, it would have been a massacre. David had to use the skills and the tools and the abilities and the giftings that God had given him. And that was simply with a sling and nothing more. Now, each one of us has skills and abilities that God has given us. We are uniquely gifted for the job that we're in. We are uniquely gifted for the situations we face. David had expertise with the sling in this situation. That's what he needed to do this. If he had tried to do it somebody else's way, he would have failed terribly. Um, So you have to use the abilities you were given. David used the natural abilities you were given along with the tools he was experienced in using. And the fourth thing we have is trust in God. I heard somebody said, Faith, you were getting ahead of me over there. Absolutely. Faith means to trust in God. First Samuel 17, I've kind of put these verses together. I came against you after David had defied, um, uh, I'm sorry, Goliath had defied David. David says, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. 
The whole world will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. Um, just because David was prepared, just because you can kill somebody with a sling, just because it's not a fairy tale where an unprepared little kid with a pebble kills a giant, does not mean that it doesn't take faith and courage to do this job. You prepare all you can, and then you depend on God to put you in the situation that you're prepared for. Goliath, on the other hand, depended only on himself. He was overly confident in his strength, in his ability, in his weapons. He comes with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. David comes with his natural skills and ability, but David comes with preparation. But most of all, David comes with a confident trust in the Lord. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, that all will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into my hands. What does it mean to trust God? Well, this is as basic as it gets. This is a foundation for what I believe, the confidence I have in life. This is the foundation for why I can stand up here and be excited about the challenges that you're going to face, that I'm going to face. Trust in God is, first of all, we, the absolute knowledge that God is good. Everything about God is good. His plans are good. His purposes are good. He is altogether good. The second thing about trusting in God is God always wants the best for me. Romans 8.20 says that in all things, God works together for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So God is good, and not only that, he wants what's good for me. Doesn't mean that he's going to give me a, a carefree, comfort, luxury life, but everything that is in my path is there for my good. Absolutely everything. And the third thing about trusting in God is God knows what I'm going through. There's nothing that anyone here is going through that God does not know about. Nothing takes God by surprise. He knows. He cares. He's waiting to help you. He's bringing things into line to help you change and grow and to do whatever it takes in that situation. That's what it means to trust in God. So you can think about the giants you have, your personal struggles. And you can think, what do I need to change? What do I need to prepare? How do I need to face this giant? Knowing that I'm in this situation because God wants me to learn something from it. God wants me to grow by it. And the last thing we need to do, we found our giant. We've prepared for our giant. What is step three? We've got gifts that God has given us. We trust in God. And the last thing we have to do is run to the battle. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet him. Ultimately, slaying giants is about courage. But the courage does not come when it's time to face Goliath. The courage comes every day in little pieces and little ways. Courage to do what is right when everything, everybody else says it's wrong. You need courage to follow your dreams that nobody else can see. 
You need courage to daily discipline yourself, to continue growing, to continue preparing. You need courage to face up to your difficulties and find solutions. Courage to stand up for what is right, no matter what the crowd says. I have one example to show you where courage was lacked that cost probably hundreds and thousands of lives. It's a story about the Soviet premier Nikita Khrushchev. Had he shown some courage, maybe things could have been different. But when Nikita Khrushchev became premier of the Soviet Union, he was in a meeting with his cabinet ministers and, uh, and uh, I forget what the, that is called in Russia. But he was denouncing the, the atrocities and the policies of Joseph Stalin that had killed hundreds of thousands and possibly even millions after the Second World War. He was lambasting Stalin and criticizing him. It was a public meeting, and Khrushchev was interrupted by a shout from a heckler in the crowd. And he said, you were one of Stalin's colleagues. Why didn't you stop him? And Khrushchev roared, who said that? And everybody in the crowd looked nervously around, and nobody said anything. Khrushchev paused and said quietly, now you know why I didn't do anything. Nobody had the courage to stand up. Nobody had the courage to say, this is wrong. We can't go on doing this. So that's the story of David and Goliath. We all have to face giants. We need to prepare for it. We need to trust God that God will get us through it because he wants every one of us to be giant killers. If I could call for the band right now, we're going to sing one more song. Let's pray.